Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Romans chapter 5, if you will. We've been talking here at the beginning of the year with an emphasis on the kingdom of God and what it means to be seated in heavenly places with him, what it means to reign in life, reign in this life. Romans chapter 5, verse 17 of the New King James reads this way. Because of one man's offense, death reigned through the one. If by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more. Everyone say much more. You know, God knows how to outdo you. No matter how hard you sin, no matter how hard of a life you've ran, no matter how hard of a, a journey you've tried to get away from God or try to run in the opposite direction, he always comes back with a much more, amen? I'm so thankful that no matter uh, what I've done, no matter how I've lived, no matter uh, what, what I have uh, misstepped or uh, been misled by, God comes back and his word, and his word is always much more. He can outdo, you thought you could sin hard and you can't outdo his grace. You can't outdo his righteousness. You can't outdo his love. You can't outdo his son coming to this earth with no guarantee that you would receive or accept anything that he did for you. And he shed his blood uh, proactively so you could be restored and redeemed back into the kingdom of God once again. God knows how to do much more. That's probably two of my favorite words in that. Because if God's, uh, grace or God's power or God's ability to redeem me and restore me has a limitation to it, then, uh, you know, we're, we're all at risk of outdoing God. I don't want to test God's patience, and I don't want to test that grace, and I don't want to test that mercy. I want to come back. I want to be drawn back to him. I, I don't want to push the limit and say, well, how far can I run and do my thing until God gets me back? But I'm thankful that God has a much more. Anybody with me this morning, you're thankful God has done much more in your life, much more than the sin, much more than the selfishness, much more than the wickedness, much more than the lusts and the perversions and the, the, the decay of humanity. God knows how to do much, much more. Much more than the sin, than the offense, than death reigning. Much more. Those who receive the abundance of grace. Everyone say abundance. God is not a God of lack. God overdoes it. God makes sure you have enough. Enough grace and the gift of righteousness. That means you can't work for it. You can't achieve it. You can't be good enough for it. And let me tell you something. When you become righteous, when you come into the kingdom of God, you cannot be any more righteous in your life than the moment you gave your life to him. You cannot grow in righteousness. I can grow in holiness. I can grow spiritually, developing and discovering who I am. And so sometimes we confuse discovering who I am as actually becoming who I am. No, you became who God called you to be and who he redeemed you to be through his son the moment you hand your life over to him. Now I've got to introduce myself to myself. Now I've got to introduce my mind to my spirit. My spirit's been made new. 2 Corinthians 5 says the old things are gone and the new things have come. You are a new creation. A, you know, that actually means, that word new actually means a new species of creation. 
completely brand new. We're not talking about a paint job or a refurbishment. We're talking about a whole new spirit man on the inside of you. Man, you got to get this. You got to get this. You got to get who you are. You got to get what God's called you to be. You got to get what the price was paid for you to become. And so you can't grow in righteousness. He sees you as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's how he sees you. Right now he looks at you and he says, you look just like Jesus. Now you might not be acting like him. You might not be talking like him. You might not be, that's what we're working on. That's why we're doing this is so we can straighten that mess out. But your spirit man on the inside is saying, yes, this is it. We got it. Come on, learn it, discover, find it out, realize it, have it revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. He's wanting to show you who you really are. Amen. The gift of righteousness will reign in life. Everyone say reign in life. Through the one, Jesus Christ. Not on our own because of what he did, but because of what he did. I'm not in this life as a passerby. I'm not in this life just watching and, and hoping things go my way and hoping God has enough uh, 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 mercy upon my life to, to withstand the darkness and the evil times and temptation and sin and all the other garbage that comes with it. No, he put you in this earth to actually execute his kingdom and reign in this life until his son comes back as a returning king. I want to read this to you again in the passage Passion translation. The Passion translation. Death once held us in its grip. And by the blunder of one man, death reigned as king over humanity. But now, everyone say, but now. But now, how much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue reigning as kings in Life, continue reigning as kings in life, enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus, the Messiah. And so we recognize that the word of God tells us that there is a reigning that should be taking place. There is a, uh, an authority that should be taking place. And so last week, uh, we started all the way back at the beginning, right? Genesis chapter three. You can turn there with me because we're gonna pick up where we left off, so to speak. And Genesis chapter three is where we're gonna get to next. But if you go to Genesis chapter one, I don't have time to do a full recap. You'll need to listen to these messages and stay locked in with the direction that we're headed. But in Genesis chapter one, we know God created what? The earth. In the beginning was the earth. And in the beginning, God created the earth. And he created every living thing that's in the earth. And he designed it with a purpose. And he gave it all assignments. And he told it where it would come from, right? He said the grass would grow from the ground. And the, the sky would produce the stars and the moon. And they all had specific assignments attached to them. And then he gets down to the sixth day. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God speaking with himself, the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. So God had a plan to create a visible representation of an invisible heaven. Okay? 
Just recapping. God had a plan to create a visible earth that would reflect and represent an invisible kingdom in heaven. A natural version of a spiritual version. A natural earth as a representation of a spiritual heaven. Natural, visible, invisible, spiritual, however you want to categorize it. But the earth was to be a reflection of heaven. That's the way God designed it. That's the way God ordained it. Uh, You could call it, you could put it this way. God was extending heaven to the earth. There's no king that ever wants to, that is ever uh, 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 okay with remaining confined to restraints. They want to expand. They want to colonize. They want to take over other territories. They want to increase. They want to advance. The kingdom of God is always advancing. Amen. And so God in heaven said, I want to create a visible, natural representation of my invisible spiritual realm in heaven. But when he spoke Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness, he did something very interesting in that moment. He did not put himself in charge directly over this new realm called earth. He said, no, I'm gonna create an, a visible natural realm that'll be a reflection of heaven and then I'm going to create a visible natural man that will be a representation of me he said let us make man in our image and let them uh, operate according to our likeness so right there he used himself as the template for creating you and I he used himself as the mold he said uh what what are they going to look like what are they going to act like what are they going to talk like? Well, you know, what are they going to live like? What's going to be their assignment? What are, what are going to be their responsibilities? What are they going to be doing down there? Oh, you know what? They'll do what we do here. What we're doing in heaven, they'll do that down there. And verse 20 says, uh, 28 says that he blessed them, said be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it or put it under your dominion, your authority, subdue the earth. He said, you will, you will have dominion. You will have authority. You will govern over everything in the earth, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the things that creep on the earth. And then he says, and over all the earth. Well, in that moment, what God just did by extending and giving authority, delegating authority to man to rule over the earth, at the same time, he also removed himself from being able to operate in this realm without you and I, without using man. And from that point on, throughout the word of God and throughout history, we see God using man, messed up man, unredeemed man, And he get his spirit on them and said, you're going to do, you're going to carry out, you're going to slay that giant, you're going to build that ark, you're going to start that nation, you're going to redeem my people, you're going to start those churches. And then ultimately he had to send himself in flesh to redeem mankind from from their sins. God couldn't just show up in this realm being a spirit being 
and invade the earth and say, just get out of the way, I got it, just, I'll take over. Why? Because God, as a king, as a righteous king, can't go back on his word. That's why we have to be careful when we say things like God is in control or we talk about the sovereignty of our God and the, and, and the greatness of our God. Is he great? Absolutely. Is he mighty? You better believe it. Is he sovereign? Yes, over his word. And if he speaks it a certain way, it has to be a certain way and we don't even get to go against that and say, well, you know what, God? I'm not big enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not great enough. I don't. You know, every person in the Bible that God used had some major issues with them. And I'm sure if we dug down into yours, we'd find some major issues too. But God used murderers. God used old people. God used young people. God used children. God used liars, cheaters. God used people that couldn't have kids. God used shepherds to fight battles. I mean, God will, mess, God will mess up what you think he can do in your life. God will show up and say, you thought you only could operate at this capacity. Let me show you what happens when my spirit gets upon you. I'll turn a shepherd into a king overnight. Get my spirit upon them, come alongside and assist you. Just serve me, be faithful to me, and I'll use you for stuff you never dreamt or imagined. And he's still doing that today. He's still doing that today. Man, I, I tell you what, when you get smack dab in the will of God and you get passionate about following him, you'll, you'll live your life over your head, beyond you, bigger than you. And if you're not, it might be in question if you're doing something God's called you to do. If it's within your boundaries, within your limitations, if you never have an internal conversation, oh, I just can't do this, it's just so much, I don't know if I can handle this. Then it might not be a God assignment. It might be a man assignment. God assignments make you feel like, huh? That's a God assignment. God assignments will make you argue with him. You'll argue with a burning bush. You have a bush on fire, yet not burning, and you'll still try to talk God out of it. God, you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong bush. You meant to go down the road a little bit further. You don't, you don't know what I've done. I, I went, I, I killed people back there. I'm talking about Moses. He's, he's kneeling down with his shoes off in front of a burning bush. He's in the presence of God and is still arguing. I mean, how much convincing do we need of what God wants to do and can do in our lives? How much convincing? Are we Gideons? I, I got to, you know, you know God, are, are you sure I'm going to put this, put the fleece out? I mean, like three different times he tested. I mean, you're running out of ways to, how much do we need? Yeah, because when God calls you to do something, it's way bigger than you. If you're not living your life dependent on the Holy Spirit, then we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. We need him every day. I need him to parent. I need him to be a husband. I need him to pastor a church. I need him to drive down the road and not cut someone off. I need, come on. We need the Holy Spirit to do stuff beyond us. Hallelujah. 
And this was God's plan from the beginning, that man would rule and have dominion. We know in Genesis chapter 3, when they sinned, the serpent, more cunning than any beast of the field, came and tempted them with something that they already had. If you eat of this fruit, you'll be more like God. Well, they couldn't be any more like God. They were created in his image. You can't be any more. And, God, and, and the devil's still doing that, trying to get people to be more like something that God's already got them to be. He's already done it. Done deal. Past work. Finished work of the cross. It's over. He said it is finished. He didn't say it is finished except, or it, it is finished but, it is finished. But that serpent shows up. Oh, if you eat of this tree, well, you know, this is the thing is when I refuse to submit to God's authority, I compromise my authority. So Adam and Eve were in this garden with this snake, with this enemy of God, who they had authority over. You have dominion over what? Over everything that creeps on the earth. Well, guess what that serpent was doing? Creeping on the earth. And they had the authority to kick him out they had the responsibility to guard and protect that garden and make sure those things didn't come in and didn't have access to that territory, to that domain. But they didn't follow through. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they did not lose heaven. They lost a kingdom. When Adam and Eve sinned, they did not lose access to heaven. They weren't trying to get to heaven. They weren't living up in that garden saying one day when Jesus breaks through the sky, we're all going to get raptured. They weren't even thinking that. That wasn't even in their minds. They were interested in bringing heaven, not going to heaven. How do we get heaven to the earth? And the reason why that snake crept up and attacked them and, and went after them is because he, because he saw something that looked just like what he had attacked in heaven. That's how close of a representation Adam and Eve were, just like God, made in the image and likeness of God. And they had the authority, the responsibility, because that's, that's the worst place to be is to have authority with no responsibility. No, they had the responsibility to make sure that they did not hand over the kingdom. But that's absolutely what they did. In that moment, they handed over the kingdom. And the Bible even tells us that the, the, uh, the earth now belongs to the devil. He's the God of this world. He's the ruler of this world. And everything we're seeing in, uh, in our world today and that we have seen over the years and years that it's been in existence since this incident here in Genesis 3, we've seen nothing but decay and depravity and digression from the plan of God. And so now here, picking up in Genesis chapter 3, and um, let's start with, uh, let's start with verse 7. This is after they've eaten the fruit. And the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And you know, man's still doing that today. When we fail and when we falter, 
we spring to action to cover up what we messed up. This is, this is the beginning of man trying to solve its own issues. That's what we're seeing in the world today. Man trying to solve. It, it, all that we have in the earth today is man's best attempt to heal what can only be healed by God. And we refuse to include God in the equation. I watch it. You see it on the news. You see responses to injustice and race issues and, uh, 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 you know, all the different stuff that's going on, in our, even to, you know, sickness and disease and to virus issues. It's man's best attempt to solve what you have to have God solve. And this is why we're preaching what we're preaching. And this is why we're so bold and passionate about it. Because a silent church is a dead church. An ineffective church. And you will stand before Jesus one day. And you will give account for why you didn't operate in your authority and your assignment. And what he called you and destined you to be and destined you to do. Because everything we're covering is already in the book. Whether you're seeing it for the first time or not. It's there. And I don't want to be the man that took my talent and buried it in the ground. When he gave me the full access, full permission, full delegated authority to go out and bring the kingdom of God to the earth, bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, and yet I'm still relying on man's best attempts to solve what only God can solve, what only the kingdom can solve. What we're preaching right now is what everybody's looking for. Every nationality, every race, every gender, every status. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter if you live under a bridge or you live in a penthouse. You are looking for the kingdom of God. And you do not have purpose and you do not have worth and you do not have value until you discover it. You have the value, but until you discover it, you're not walking in it. You're not releasing the value you have as a believer until we discover what we're learning here. Man's best attempt was to cover it up, sew some fig leaves together and made themselves covering. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. This is the result of sin. This is the result of abandoning God's word, abandoning God's kingdom, abandoning God's system. And again, I want to remind you, it just, it didn't, there wasn't like slaps on the wrist and warnings and go sit in time out and think about it. Uh, You know, it it wasn't, I'm going to count to three. The very first offense was enough to separate man from God for eternity. Just one simple bite of fruit. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? The woman said, or the the man said, the woman who you gave to be with me. You know, it sounds like he's blaming the woman. He's actually blaming God. The woman who you gave to me. <laughs> he like, he, he killed two birds with one stone with that response. It was you, it, y'all both conspiring against me. <laughs> right? 
the woman you gave. Somebody said one time, you know, this it's the beginning of the blame game. And somebody, it's kind of a pastor joke. You might get it, you might not. But they said, if Adam had a pastor, they would have blamed him too. We blame everybody, don't we? Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, this is the part we want to hone in on, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Do you notice the difference in those two seeds? You, you see that, right? That's not a mistake. They didn't actually accidentally hit the caps lock when they were typing that one. It's capitalized for a reason. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his, capital H, heel. In this very moment, God sets up the plan of redemption. In this very moment, I mean, I'm talking instantly. God didn't say, you know what, I I need to go cool off. You know, I'm so furious right now. I'm so angry. I'm so mad about what's going on. You know, I I just need to take some time and set, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Just just give give me a couple thousand years and let me just cool this thing off and see what happens. No, immediately on the spot, he has a plan to redeem mankind. First off, God never gets caught off guard. If he wasn't caught off guard with that, he ain't caught off guard with nothing you're doing. You ain't surprising him with nothing. First off. Secondly, God is a planner and God moves quick to restore things. And here's what I want you to know. God did not choose to replace you. He chose to restore you. I said, God did not choose to replace you. God chose to restore you. Now, of course, we think in this moment, a lot of us have this thought that God changed his plans. Well, plan A was extend my kingdom from heaven to earth, extend myself from heaven to earth in the form of mankind, create them in my image and in my power and in my ability. And if that doesn't work, then we'll go a different route. No, it's not how God works. That's how you and I work. When something breaks, we abandon it. When we don't like parenting anymore, we leave. When we don't like being a husband anymore, we walk out. When we don't like that job anymore, we turn into two weeks or don't show up. Whatever the case is, we abandon, we neglect, we walk away from. We don't work to heal. We don't work to restore. We don't work to make it right. But God is a restorer. God doesn't walk away from a plan. He restores the plan back to its best original intent. So you got to hear this today. You're not a replacement. And God's not looking to replace you. He wants to restore you. And he chose to restore in that moment. I've got a plan of restoration. I got a plan of redemption. And it involved his son. The seed, the capital S, the capital H, that's Jesus. From the beginning of time. From the beginning of time, he said, I'm going to restore Mankind, I'm gonna, how are we seated 
in heavenly places if we're in a fallen nature? How are we seated at the right hand of the Father? How do we get to operate with this dominion and this authority once again? It's because of Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus today. You'll get to go home, and if somebody says, what'd you learn about in church? You'll get to say, Jesus. You'll get to say the answer we've always wanted to say. Uh, We learned about Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus today. Is that okay? We're going to talk about the mission of the Son of God because Jesus is the most mistaken person that's ever walked this earth. His mission is the most mistaken, the most misunderstood mission that has ever been known about a single person. Jesus is the most most misunderstood person that's ever walked this earth. And I want us to discover who Jesus really is. Because if Jesus, if God in Genesis chapter 3 thought right there on the spot, I've got the answer. I've got the answer. They lost heaven. They lost the kingdom. They lost their dominion. They lost their authority. And I know how to get it back. And and let me just tell you something. Satan, we, we use this term, I use this term, but it's really not a true statement. Satan is not God's enemy. Because Satan doesn't stand a chance. Satan is not God's problem. The devil is not your problem. I'll go a step further. Sin is not your problem. You thought you were living this whole life battling sin and battling the devil, and that's not your problem at all. This is very clear. Jesus steps right in, and he's got the answer. There's no battle waging, there's no war, there's no fight. He literally speaks a thing and the devil has nothing, no other recourse but to accept the word and fear for his life. And he's still fearing for his life today. The devil knows more about the plan of redemption and the plan of God and the plan and mission of Jesus than we do, than his own church does. And it's time we figure it out. It's time we find out what the devil knows about us. It's time we find out what the devil knows about the church. It's time we find out what the devil knows about our dominion and our power and our authority and God's true mission. Hello? The devil knows it's over. When he he said those words right there, he's going to crush my head. He knew I don't stand a chance. I'm done. I'm done for. That serpent, that snake, the devil right there in that moment is shaking in his boots, just waiting for the day. Because he knows. He knows. When God says a thing, when the king of kings says a thing, when the king speaks, where the word of the king is, there is power. I'm done for. The only way I can continue to operate, the only chance I stand is if I can deceive people and hide it. It's the only, that's the only, if you ever discover (laughs) he doesn't stand a chance. He can't touch you. He can't harm you. He can't bring anything to you. You literally, by the words of your mouth and by the faith in your heart, can withstand anything the enemy throws at you. I'm not saying the weapon won't be formed. I'm saying it won't prosper. I'm not saying he won't try. I'm saying it won't work. 
Y'all with me? Y'all good? Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Yep, we're going to clear up some misunderstandings today. Y'all might, you know, every Saturday might be good to go back and listen to the message from, um, when was that? I'm going to tell you the date so you can find it. From January 17th, no, 24th. January 24th. Every every Saturday. Because if you don't change the lens and you don't change the filter and you don't change uh, the blockages and the religious thinking and the mindsets that we've just bought into over Christianity over time, because look, God wasn't setting up Christianity. That's not a God made. That's not a God made thing. You, know, you won't find Christianity anywhere in Genesis. I'm going to create Christians. It's not in. The, it's not in there. He's not setting up a religion. He's not setting up a practice. He's not setting up an. Or- he established a kingdom. Period. That's what he established. End of conversation. He is a king, and a king extended his kingdom from heaven to earth. He established a kingdom. And so over the years, those of us that have been in church or been around church or been under the word, we accumulate religious thinking. That's just, that just happens. We accumulate thinking that directly opposes the kingdom of God. We do this. And I know what happens. Now you're waging war on the inside because it's, it's, it's rocking and jacking up all the stuff that we've known and believed and, and thought and said. I know. I've been where you're at right now. June 2009, sat in the chair, jacking up my thinking. Broke me for about six months. I, I mean, it was the hardest six months of my life. Spiritually speaking, because the kingdom message will directly confront, challenge, and oppose any religious thinking. And this is the thing. Religious thinking will hide out. The kingdom shines the light on it and says, oh, there it is. It's over here. It's back here in the corner. Come get it. Come get it. It's this, this thought over here. I found it. We didn't even know we were believing that way until the kingdom revealed it. It's like, oh. So every Saturday, go back and listen. Because we reduce it, we resist it, we reject it, and then we revise it. It's what we do. Every time. And I want this to sink down in your heart. I want this to sink down in your spirit. I want you, I want the seed of the word to go deep down so you can bear the fruit of it. And don't let it get choked out by thinking that directly opposes the kingdom of God. Isaiah chapter 9. Oh, this is our Christmas verse. It's one of those we could all quote because we sing it and we, we put it on our, free, our freezer and our fireplace and 
For unto us, a child. Is that a capital C? That's a capital C. For unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son. Is that a capital S? That's a a capital S. Unto us, a son is given. And the what? Oh, say it better than that. And the what? Y'all are like, government. And the government. Ugh. Why would God put a government on his son's shoulders? And the what? The what? Wait, that, that can't be right. And the government? I mean, that can't. That can't be right. A government system? The capital S son and the capital C child, Jesus, and he's putting a government on his shoulders? Not a religion? Shouldn't that say in Christianity will be upon his shoulder? Is that what it should say? And the church will be on his shoulder? And the living right and doing as good as we can will be? No, it says government. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his, wait, government? You mean it's going to increase? So he's not just putting a government on his, he's increasing the government, he's advancing the government, he's making the government bigger than it was. It's going to grow. Government. I mean, if I were to tell you right now, God's answer for the world today is government. (laughs) Y'all are like, say it one more time and I'm up out of here. I'm walking out right now. I'm not even hearing the rest of this, right? The government, a governing system, a governing system, structure a government well you know so you know we we have to remove all of our religious thinking and some of us are loyal to our religious thinking we love that and so i know you're struggling with that and i don't i don't want to add more weight and more pressure to what you're already battling and what you're already having to lay down but i've got one more that if we go any further in the kingdom message you're going to have to lay down I got one more that we're going to have to abandon and let go because it will get in the way of everything else we have to say. You ready? Our Americanized thinking directly opposes the kingdom of God. The reason why you laugh at me when I say, and the government is the answer for the world today is because we are seeing man's best attempt at government and it doesn't work does it I love this country I love our nation I love what we stand for I love the the policies I love the opportunities we have I love the freedoms we enjoy but at the end of the day it is no reflection of the kingdom of God you didn't know this you thought there was Republican and Democrat let me tell you something today They're both on the same side. 
They're both on the same side. They're both using their best resources and their best attempts to solve man's problems. Both sides are futile. Both sides don't have the answer. Only the kingdom has the answer. Only the kingdom. There's the kingdom and then there's all else. I said there's kingdom and then there's all else. So not only will our religious thinking jack us up, now I got now I live in America. There's no voting in the kingdom of God. Jesus is king, whether you like it or not. Whether he's king of your life, that's one thing. But he is king. You don't vote him in, you can't vote him out. He don't care what you think about him. I'm king. I rule. What I say goes. And I'm not asking you your opinion. I'm not asking if you like it. I'm not asking you to agree with me. And I'll stand all by myself. I don't need a majority standing behind me. I don't need a party. I don't need to go and campaign. I am king. Submit to it or not. That's Jesus. That's the king of kings. It's the government that's on his shoulders. And it's the increase of his government. There will be no end. Whether you like it or not, his government's increasing. His kingdom's growing. His kingdom is advancing. Heaven is coming to this earth. Will you be a part or not? Okay. I just jacked up y'all's Christmas verse. Y'all were like, yeah, y'all have to take the ornament down. Watch this. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne, upon the throne, where do thrones exist? Thrones don't exist in religions. Religious people don't have thrones. You don't give a throne to Muhammad or to a Buddha or to a Confucius. You don't give a throne to these guys. You give thrones to kings. Thrones are in kingdoms. Not religions. Of the, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward and even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I just wrapped up the whole mission of Jesus in a Christmas verse that we quoted and cited and wrote down and and put up every year and didn't even know what we were saying, what we were believing, what we were reading, what we were thinking. Jesus did not come as a religious figure. Jesus did not come as the head of Christianity. Jesus did not come as just a good person or a good teacher. Jesus did not come just as a savior. Did he save you? Yes. But I want to tell you right now, saving you, dying on a cross, was not Jesus' mission or his mandate. Income, religious thinking. It's not why he came to this earth. Jesus came to die on the cross for my sins, 
so I could go to heaven and be with him. That's the most acceptable Christian statement we have in the world today. And he came to bring a kingdom. He came to restore a government system that man had abandoned and neglected. He had to die on a cross for your sins because you can't be in his kingdom if sin is in you. So he had to find a way to get the sin out of you. So he had to be the lamb slain before the foundations of the earth, led to the slaughter. That had to take place so that the kingdom could be restored and you could be back in the kingdom once again. And so we look at Jesus's ministry. Go to Matthew chapter three. I'm gonna move relatively quickly through these. Matthew chapter three. Jesus came to bring a kingdom. It says a government was upon his shoulders. A government? A government system. A government. We're gonna learn about Jesus today. Matthew chapter three, verse 17. Matthew 4, 17. Did I give you 3, 17? I need Matthew 4, 17. I mean, Matthew 3, 17 is good too. <laughs> I'm just trying to be focused. I mean, it's not a bad verse. You could read it. It's, it's actually highlighted in my Bible, but I need Matthew 4, 17. <laughs> uh, from that time, Jesus began to preach. He began to preach. Began. Just getting started, just getting going, began to preach, proclaim. That's what that word preach means. It means to proclaim and to say, repent. Everyone say repent. Repent for the what? Kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the first known message Jesus preaches. He began to preach And when he's beginning to preach the onset of his ministry, the first thing he says is repent for the kingdom. Everyone say kingdom. It's okay, you can say kingdom. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's break down a few of these. Repent, first off, is not a religious word. Repent is not a religious word. Repent doesn't mean to come boo-hoo and cry down at an altar and ask God, you know, tell him you're sorry for everything you've ever done and ask him to come into your life and save you and redeem you. Repent, literally, the word repent means this, to change your thinking, change your thinking. It literally means to change your thinking, but there's more. But there's more. It means to change your thinking and it means to side with my party. Literally what that word repent means. It means to change your thinking. Why? You cannot accept the kingdom with your thinking. It won't work. So he tells you to repent. Change it. You're going to have to change it. You're going to have to turn a complete 180 away from what you think and how you think this should operate, how you think this should work, 
Everything you've ever heard, all your experiences, all your belief systems, all the brokenness, repent, change your thinking, and side with my party. Side with my party. Repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At hand means within reach. It's near. It's coming to you. And he's letting them know it's coming. Get ready by repenting. Get ready by changing your thinking. Get ready by removing all the old garbage. Get ready. You've heard me preach on the, the, uh, the new wine and the old wineskins. He was using that as an illustration to let you know, if you try to take the new wine of the kingdom and put it in the old wineskin of your thinking, you're going to lose it all. The kingdom is not the wine. The kingdom is the filter. The kingdom is the wineskin. And if you don't replace the wineskin and repent and change your thinking, everything else I have to say, you'll miss it. That's what he's letting them know. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the first First words out the gate. It's the first words that we have. By the way, in Matthew chapter 4, leading up to that, before verse 17, we have the devil coming to Jesus to tempt him. Why? Because he knows he's beat. I'm done for. God, the the king spoke. This man's going to crush my head. This man is going to put me back in my place. Before he gets too carried away, I'll try to tempt him. I'll try to trick him. I'll try to deceive him. Try to deceive him just like he tried to deceive Adam and Eve. Notice his tactic hadn't changed. 4,000 years later, still doing the same thing. Can I talk you out of what God has said? This time, though, the second Adam, Jesus, shows up, and he does what the first Adam should have done. He gives them the word of God. Imagine if Adam and Eve had given them the word of God. No, my my king said, my God said, I'm in charge here. I have dominion. And you're coming in direct opposition trying to get me to disobey a command that my king gave me. I'm casting you out. We would, that's all we would have. We'd be hanging out with Adam and Eve. We'll probably just get down to the next incident and they blow it there. Or one of their kids blow it. Right? No, Adam, what Adam didn't do, Jesus did. And after 40 days and 40 nights of being hungry and multiple temptations, threes that we have recorded. And you know what's funny about that is prior to that, Jesus had approached John the Baptist to be baptized in water. The Holy Spirit comes and descends upon him. And the first place God sends him is into a wilderness to be tempted of the devil 40 days and 40 nights. And you thought getting saved was going to get you into glory. (laughs) Right? The first place the Holy Spirit sent you is to a brokenness, to a mess, to confront the devil. And Jesus said, bring him on. Where is he? Because I'm here to restore the kingdom. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jump on down to verse um, 23. Matthew 4, verse 23. 
And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the what? The gospel of the kingdom. And healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. He went about preaching a specific gospel. The gospel of the kingdom. Now there's two gospels that are released. There is the gospel about Jesus, which is the one that is the most widespread. The one that we hear and come to learn and discover in our churches and in our Bible studies. And we learn about Jesus. Or there's the gospel that Jesus preached. And they are not the same. The gospel about Jesus tells us about the man, Jesus, that came and lived a perfect life and shed his blood and took stripes on his back and was nailed to a cross and arose again and did many signs and wonders and miracles. And and we talk about Jesus. But then there's the gospel that Jesus preached himself. There's the gospel that Jesus actually preached. And this tells us that he went about all of Galilee, his territory where he was teaching and where he was traveling, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Gospel means good news. Good news. The gospel of the kingdom. Over in Matthew chapter 13, you can just jot it down in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus gives the parable of the sower. And after he speaks the parable of the sower as a parable to a multitude, to a crowd, he turns to his disciples and the disciples say, why are you talking to them in parables? And Jesus says this, he says, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them it has not. To you, I can reveal the mystery. I can break it down for you. But to the crowd, they're just following me based on performance. They're just following me because they like what I have to say. But they're not really invested. They're not really engaged. They're not following me here or there or traveling with me or laying things down. If I come to them, they'll make time to come hear me. But they are not going with me like you guys are. Then when he gives the interpretation of the parable, the first thing he says, when someone hears the message of the kingdom, there's a specific message that he specifies there in Matthew chapter 13. There's a, there's a gospel, the gospel about Jesus, the gospel that we are all lost and in and, 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 and depravity and we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and the answer is that we need to re, be in a restored relationship with the Father, a restored. And so Jesus came and he lived the perfect life that he did and, and did all these miracles and signs and wonders. And then he laid his life down for you. If you accept him as Lord, then you'll get to live in harmony with God on earth and you'll get to go to heaven one day when you die. That is the gospel that we preach the most. But that is not the gospel Jesus preached. It's not the gospel Jesus preached. 
in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Y'all with me? Okay. I, I want to preach the gospel Jesus preached. I want to say what Jesus had to say. In fact, Jesus, did ne- Jesus never expected to be the last one to say the things he said. He did not expect to be the only one that preached the way he preached. Matthew chapter 10, and when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the 12, and we have those names, jump on down to verse uh, five. These 12, Jesus sent out and commanded them saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, he's now sending his disciples out, okay? So this isn't just Jesus saying these things and Jesus preaching these things. Now he is delegating this and saying, I need you to go out into these cities, into these regions, and here's what you're gonna say. Preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What are his disciples supposed to be preaching? The gospel of the kingdom, the same gospel of the kingdom that Jesus preached about. He didn't say, go and tell them that I'm going to die on a cross one day. Go and tell them that I'm going to lay down my life for them one day. Go and tell them that, that they are sorry lost sinners and that they, their only hope is if they believe in me and confess that, you know, with their mouth that I am Lord and believe that I'm about to die on a cross and they give their life to me so one day they can go to heaven. Let me give you a few things Jesus never preached about. Jesus never preached about heaven. Never preached about it talked about it with a few people, never preached about it. Never preached about it in a corporate setting, in a synagogue, on a side of a mountain with a multitude of people. He never preached about heaven. He talked about it, but he talked very little compared to how many times he mentioned the kingdom. He, very little in comparison. Number two, Jesus never preached about the cross. Never preached about the cross. Never preached about the cross. Never preached about it. He spoke about it with his disciples. They didn't even get it. They didn't even believe him when he did talk about it. But he never preached about the cross. Never sat in a synagogue, never sat on the side of a mountain with a multitude of people and talked to them about the whole purpose behind this cross. And if you'll just come to the cross and you'll just give your life and I'm gonna shed my, he didn't do that. He preached about the kingdom. Number three, he never preached about being born again. Three things that are probably the makeup of about 90% of our belief systems and messages in the church today. Heaven, 
the cross and being born again. And yet Jesus did not make the emphasis on those three that we do. I told you he's the most misunderstood person that's ever walked this planet. You can't find it. And we have four gospels. Four different people wrote about his life and his ministry and what he talked about and the things that he did. And you know what is concurrent with all four of them? The kingdom. Over 160 times he mentions the kingdom. He talked about being born again with one man. We have built entire doctrines on this. Entire belief systems off of a conversation he had with one man in the middle of the night because the man was too scared to have a real conversation with him in the daylight. In John chapter 3, well, if a man can't be, unless a man be born of the Spirit, how can I be born again? How can I go back in my, that whole conversation with Nicodemus? That happened at like 3 o'clock in the morning with one individual, and it's literally run our mission as a local, as a church today. I see you're struggling, so let me just help you out a little bit. I'm not saying you won't go to heaven. You absolutely will. To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. I'm not saying Jesus didn't die on a cross or that it doesn't have an importance or relevance. The cross is the access point. If you don't go through the cross, you don't access anything we're talking about. And I'm not saying we don't need to be in, uh, engaging people to get them born again into the, it, it, but we are not getting them born again. So if you died today, do you know that you'd be to heaven? You are getting born again to be born of a new kingdom and a new system and a new way of thinking and a new way of life, not to keep your old stuff. There's no baby that comes into this world with stuff they already had. Right? Tenley didn't come in with a suitcase saying, this is what I had for my previous life, right? You let me hold on to some of my garbage, some of my stuff? Can I? It, it, no, you are born, fresh, infant, brand new. So I'm not denying those things. I'm talking about the emphasis of Jesus' mission and the emphasis of Jesus' message was not going around trying to get people born again, trying to get people to believe in what was, He couldn't even convince his own disciples that were following him of the cross much less try to get multitudes to understand that concept. And his mission was not to get you heaven focused. In fact, when he talked about heaven, he talked about what you bring, not where you go. There's a difference. And the reason why this is jacking us all up so bad is because we've been so entrenched in religious thinking. And so we must do the same thing that every person that Jesus impacted must do. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change your thinking. Side with my party. Change the way you think. Come into alignment with my father's kingdom. What did he say? Seek first the what? Not seek first being born again. Seek first the cross. Seek first getting to heaven. He said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, which means living right in the kingdom. Y'all know what righteousness is, right? The speed limit says 65. Going 65 or under that is righteousness. Going 66 or higher is unrighteousness. We understand this principle. 
And you know what's really messed us up is we misunderstand mercy. We have confused delay as acceptance. Because you know what mercy is, right? Mercy is the delay of punishment. That's what that is. But the Bible says one day we will all be judged. Come on now. We thought mercy was, oh, I got off. No. No. Mercy is delay. Mercy is, I'm going to give you time to get it right. I'm going to have mercy on your life, and I'm giving you the opportunity to make the right choice. And his mercies are new every morning. He's a very extremely merciful God. Some of y'all should throw your hands in the air and thank God of how merciful he is because he's been delaying it for a long time, giving you the opportunity to make a right decision. But that is not God condoning or accepting or tolerating or allowing. Righteousness is righteousness and unrighteousness is unrighteousness. Sin is sin. You're not changing God's mind on that. Jesus didn't change God's mind on that, okay? So the emphasis of Jesus' mission, the mandate, the mission, the cause, the reason. Look at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Remember what we said where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable? So if we don't know the reason why, Jesus came or the reason for Jesus, then we'll even abuse Jesus, misuse Jesus. People love to accept Jesus as their savior. But the question is, is have you made him Lord? There's the difference. Savior is what Jesus did. But Lord is who he is. Savior is the action that got you to be able to receive who he is. If he didn't save you, you couldn't make him Lord. But I don't want to accept Jesus. Oh, thank you so much for getting me out of hell. Thank you. you know, that, that's, that's what we do. We either motivate them by scaring them out of hell or getting them to look forward to heaven. But this whole middle realm here is... Com- Luke chapter 4. Uh, verse 42, now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. So he's in a location and they're like, no, Jesus, don't go. Stay here. We want to listen to you talk more. We want to see more of your miracles. We want to see more of your signs. Please don't leave. Please don't leave. And he says this. He said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. For this purpose, I have been sent. Not one mention of a cross, born again, getting people to heaven. Not one mention. He says, the reason I was sent is to bring the kingdom. To bring the kingdom. He was obsessed with this. You know, you ever seen someone obsessed with something? 
they go overboard. You almost look at them like, why do you do that so much? Why do you care about that so much? You ever seen someone with an obsession? You don't have to ask them what their obsession is. Hello? So tell me, what are you obsessed about? No, it doesn't work that way. When you have an obsession about something, you're highly invested, highly engaged. It's all you talk about. It's all you do. Everything surrounds it. It's very evident. It's very real. It's, it's very uh, uh, apparent. He has an interest in this. And that was Jesus with the kingdom. Highly invested. Highly engaged. Highly interested. He wanted to be in right standing with his father in his kingdom. He wanted to get other people to learn and understand and discover the realities of the kingdom, the government system that's on his shoulders, the government that will be increasing to the government there will be no end. This government system, this kingdom, he's highly obsessed with. Look at Matthew chapter 13. I'm just gonna pull out some of these verses for you. I mentioned it earlier, the parable of the sower is the beginning of Matthew 13, but he actually goes on a, on a long rant in this session and uh, covers quite a bit. Matthew chapter 13, verse 11. He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. To them it has not been given. Jump down to verse 31. Matthew 13, verse 31, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. Look at verse 31. uh, I gave you 31, 33, two more verses down. Another parable he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Verse 30, or, uh, 44, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field when a man, uh, which a man found and hid, and for the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. Look at verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered uh, some of every kind. You see what he's talking about? And you see what he's doing? Is he's trying to get you, the, 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 the regular individual at this time, every example he used, these people could relate to. Now, number one, they're not set up in a democracy. They're not set up in a democratic republic. These are not Americans. He's talking to people that know what a kingdom looks like. They've already been overthrown by kingdom after kingdom after kingdom. The Babylon came in, Persia came in, the Greeks came in, and now the Romans are ruling over. They know kingdom. But even further beyond that, he's using nets and stones and pearls and fields and fishing, and he's using everything he possibly can to say this is what the kingdom is like. How can I, oh, how can I relate it to you? Okay, you're, you're a farmer. It's like a field. It's like you got a treasure in a field. It's like you sow in seed. And these people are grabbing onto it. Wow, that's, that's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of heaven. It, it would be like that. It'd be like a, pre, a, a precious uh, a jewelry. It would be uh, like a precious coin that was lost. And you go and you search all over trying to find it. It's a value. 
absolute obsession. In fact, he was so obsessed with this kingdom, they killed him for it. That's, that's a whole nother level of obsession when you're willing to die for it. They did not know. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Romans, they're not thinking, okay, this is the Messiah. This is Jesus. This is the Son of God. And the plan is that he has to die to redeem all of us. So let's make up something to get him killed over, to murder him over, so he could die. They don't know they're acting out the plan of God as they're doing it. What was the reason they arrested him? What was the reason they hated him? And let me tell you, the ones that hated him the most were the ones that should have understood it the most. The religious people. You know who bought into Jesus' mission? Fishermen, tax collectors, common folk. Later it was said, who are these uneducated men doing all these signs and wonders? They recognized they had been with Jesus. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the educated ones and the intellectuals and the schooled and the scholars and the writers and the scribes and the elders, they, they, these were the ones that missed the Messiah standing right in front of them. Remember, Jesus was born as a king. Why would a king murder every baby two years and under because of hearing of a baby born in Bethlehem? Because kings feel threatened when other kings show up. That's how much his life posed a threat as a king. And they're looking for every opportunity, but they could not take him until it was his time. And as king, Jesus exhibited and executed authority on every level possible. There's not one thing on this planet that dominated Jesus. Right? I make man in my image, according to my likeness. Let them have dominion over the earth, fish of the sea, birds of the air. Everything that creeps on the earth. If it was within this territory, within this domain, Jesus exercised authority over it, period. Every time. Not one time did his authority fail. He healed every kind of sickness and disease because it was residing in a physical body made from the dust of the ground. Now, the, I'll get to that in a minute. He, he exercised authority over plants, cursed a fig tree, it died. Exercised authority over storms, told a storm, peace be still, and it stopped. He exercised authority over bread made of grain from the ground, multiplied it. 
exercise authority over fish? Got a coin showing up. How, how many of you guys like to go fishing this afternoon and find some money? Exercised authority over death. Raised several dead people. One of them dead after four days. Called his body back to life. Exhibited authority over sickness, uh, over uh, demons. And those possessed by demons cast them out, set them free. The only thing Jesus could not conquer, the only thing Jesus couldn't touch, the only thing Jesus could not operate uh, authority or dominion over is one of the things that God left out in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. The will of man. Couldn't do it. No matter how much he wanted the Pharisees and the Sadducees to get it, couldn't do it. You, couldn't, you can't operate authority over another man, over their will, over their mind. Can't make you get it, can't make you see it, can't make you understand it. Jesus couldn't do it. And of course, Jesus never executed or tried to execute authority over God, which was the other thing that was left out in Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Everything else, if it was within his dominion, if it was within his domain to exercise authority over, he did it every single time. Not one time did he fail. He remained righteous with his father. He remained in right alignment. He, 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 he understood his position as a righteous person. And here's the thing I want to show you, Luke chapter 4. I got three more verses and we're going to wind it up. Luke chapter 4. Verse, start with verse 17. Luke chapter 4, verse 17. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. This is going to connect us to where we're going to go next week, so you got to see these verses. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Everyone say anointed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power 
who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus did what he did because the spirit of the Lord was upon him and he was anointed to do the work that he was called to do. Jesus did what he did because he was anointed and empowered by the Spirit of God to do what he did. Jesus did not do what he did as God. Hear me now. Jesus did not do what he did as God. God. If that were the case, you and I could just look at the man, uh, Jesus, here in the flesh, operating as God in the flesh, and say, oh man, that, that would be, what, that, what a great man that was. Look at all the awesome things he did. I, I sure wish I could do, I sure wish I, man, you know, that, that must be nice having all that power. No, Jesus did what he did in this earth. Restoring the kingdom, bringing the kingdom, bringing the kingdom message. Redeeming mankind. And all the authority he operated in on this earth, he didn't do it as God. He did it as a man submitted to God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He did not do what he did as God. He did the miracles, he did the signs, he did the wonders, his ministry, everything he did, everything he executed, everything he operated and exercised authority over, he did as a man, submitted to God, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. John 14, 12. Stop here and we'll connect it next week. Worship team, if you come. John 14, 12. Jesus did everything he did, not as God, but as a man submitted to God, empowered and anointed by his spirit. John 14, 12. He says this, most assuredly, I say to you, most assuredly, most assuredly, say that with me, say most assuredly. That's a lot of confidence. That's a lot of assurance. He's saying there's no doubt. You can't mistake this. You can't get this wrong. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, what's the qualification? Believe. He who believes in me, The works that I do, he will do also. Everyone say also. He will do also and greater works. Everyone say greater works and greater works than these he will do. Because I'm going to the Father. Can you stand up with me?
We're going to circle back around next week. Seated. Authority. Power. Dominion. Governing. Ruling. And you can reign in this life through the one, Jesus Christ. Through the one, Messiah. You can reign. You can rule. Because he brought the kingdom back. Oh, he finished his work. He finished his work. He finished his work. He said, it is finished. And if you would simply believe, if you would simply accept, if you would simply follow after me, these same works these same works he said this authority that I'm that I'm operating in it only works because I remain submitted to my father and if you will remain submitted to the father if you will believe these same works these same signs these same wonders these same miracles this same power that raised Christ from the dead will reside in you. If there's anybody in this room this morning you have not accepted and received the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I want you to have that opportunity today. Because he did die on the cross and he did shed his blood for the remission of your sins. Because God wants a body, an individual, a vessel, that's not tainted with the things of the world. And he wanted to separate you from the darkness that came into man and that came into this world. He wants to remove that from you. And so he died on the cross. His blood doesn't just cover it, it removes it. As far as the east is from the west, you are redeemed, you are sanctified, you are holy, you are righteous, you are right. And if you have not had that opportunity today, I want you to have that opportunity today. you would respond and say, I have not received Jesus as Lord. I've not made him Lord of my life. I've not given my life over to him. That's the answer. That's the hope. It's what you're looking for. It's everything you're looking for. You look for it in drugs. You look for it in alcohol. We look for it in relationships. We look for it in money. We look for it in status. We look for it in identity, but it's all found in the kingdom. Everything that he gave you is everything you're looking for. Nothing more, nothing less. If that's you today and you say, I'd like to respond, just throw your hand in the air right where you're at, all across this room. If there's anybody here, you've not made Jesus Lord of your life. Awesome. That's amazing. That's amazing. Can we all just throw our hands in the air real quick and just thank the Father? Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time 
right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.